if you have a, you should have a worksheet, or there's some there on the um, on the chair as you came in. Uh, where we left off was uh, last week was with Constantine's rise to power, uh, and uh, we have to keep in mind the breakdown of the empire between east and west. Uh, it, it's going to play a greater role uh, in about 500 more years or so, uh, but. Constantine uh, overtook the other three uh, emperors. Remember, they had divided into four quadrants, and he eventually took over all of it, building uh, a city by his name, Constantinople, in which is present-day Istanbul and Turkey. Um, and that became kind of the capital of the Western, excuse me, of the Eastern Empire, and Rome remained the capital of the Western Empire. But there was some reactions to We've got to get through a few things quickly so that we can have time to delve into the bigger and more important topics today. Uh, there were some different reactions to Constantine's rise to power here. Remember now there's a big switch from persecution to church uh, to uh, the imperial sanctioning of religion. Now Christianity is approved of and Constantine is, is a so-called Christian. Remember we talked about the debate that surrounded his conversion, whether or not he truly saw this vision in the sky, by this you will conquer the labrum, the symbol on his shield of the Cairo Christ uh, symbol. And uh, whether or not he truly was converted, he definitely did make some positive changes for Christianity. And there were some different responses to that. The first response was that of, and we'll just go through some of these quickly, was enthusiasm. Eusebius of Caesarea is a very important church historian. In fact, a lot of what we know about these early years is from him and from his historical accounts. Uh, and I put a little quote on your sheet there. This, this was, uh, was Eusebius' feelings towards Constantine. Looking westward or eastward, looking over the whole earth, and even looking at heaven, always and everywhere I see blessed Constantine leading the same empire. I would say that that's some pretty serious enthusiasm. <laughs> I even look unto heaven and I see Constantine leading us. It sounds dangerously close to worship. But he uh, saw the Edict of Milan, which was the edict uh, that, you, that uh, Constantine and Licinius, the final two, you know, that Licinius was the final other emperor that Constantine had to defeat. The Edict of Milan was what eliminated persecution. He saw that, Eusebius did, and others, as almost being very similar to the Exodus with Moses. Like, like, like you have you have Abraham, you have Moses, and you have Constantine. Now this is how many people viewed him, um, and he became Eusebius did a bishop in Caesarea. That's why he's known as Eusebius of Caesarea. Uh, other people did not respond so well, but here's a few of uh, the changes that theology brought. I have a few bullets there. I'm sorry, I don't have thing. I didn't get time to put it all down for you on the screen, so you'll have to just listen and write things. But. Um, there was a, there was a uh, 13 years into the reign of Constantine, there was a dedication of the Church of the Holy Sepulcher. It's kind of interesting, these churches, the Church of the Holy Nativity, the Church of the, of the Sepulcher, these were both uh, sanctioned and funded by Constantine. And these churches are still, you, you watch Christmas services, there are people going to these places. And there was a party given at this dedication of the Church of the Holy Sepulcher in honor of Constantine's 13th anniversary of his reign. And a speech was given at that time that you could still read online by Eusebius, and it seems to be really flattering to uh, Constantine. In fact, even after Constantine's death, some Christians began burning incense to his statue. This is how revered he was. Um, 
Eusebius and others saw Constantine as divinely appointed by God. Now, this brought about a few changes in theology, and I have some bullets there for you if you care to write any of this down. First, prior to this, prior to Constantine being saved, what was the attitude of people towards Christianity? Celsus especially was one, and we've said this over and over in our lessons, what was, what was the thinking or the prevalent thought about Christianity that now is switched because of Constantine and many others who, you think you know? That's right, that's right. And now it's been switched because pre- previously it was like, how can rich people be saved? Well, now rich people are really sanctioning Christianity and many people who are wealthy are, are saved or at least seem to be saved. And in fact, with Constantine, riches now seem to be a sign of divine favor. We don't hear that at all. I mean, it's interesting. You hear these little nuggets of things that become kind of worldwide heresy in a sense. Second, another thing that I mentioned last week was uh, great, ornate, luxurious churches were being built now. And priests were wearing very luxurious robes. In fact, it kind of developed a pastoral aristocracy where pastors became kind of the main guy in society, well-paid. Uh, revered, almost luxurious lifestyle. And third, and this is maybe most important, there was a neglect to speak of the expectation of the future reign of God. Constantine fulfilled it, right? And you ever hear, and, and this is true, that the idea of the rapture or the eschatology of the church was not really spoken of in these days. Many think that's because they almost viewed Constantine as kind of the full fulfillment. What else is there? In other words, we don't need to look to the reign of God because things are so great right now. And, const- and, and it really was a prevalent line of thinking in the church for thousands of years so that eschatology didn't become a big issue in the church almost till the 19th and 20th centuries. Okay? It was almost as if they viewed Constantine as the final triumph of Christianity. And people who wanted to talk about eschatology or Christ's future reign or the end times, they were branded as heretics. Pretty astonishing. Reaction number two. So reaction number one to, and just want to get through that quickly, is, is enthusiasm. We love Constantine. He's leading us. He's like Moses, and this is fantastic. Reaction number two is almost the exact opposite. It's monasticism, where people decided we don't want any part of this, and we're going to retreat where? Yeah, even desert and wilderness. Many people fled to Egypt to live out in the wilderness alone. Uh, Monasticism can be defined as fleeing from human society and leaving everything behind because Constantine has brought brought Christianity down to this low level and the narrow gate seems to be broken through now with all of these people who claim to be Christians. There is not an understanding anymore of what it means to take up your cross and follow Christ because Christianity has become what? Culturally accepted, really a life of ease. Their persecution was over and Constantine sanctioning all of this, uh, all of this Christianity. Um, someone was asking, how, how can we be a Christian in these circumstances? Remember that Luke uh, 9.58 says, foxes have holes and birds have nests, but, 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 but now we do, right? So there was this tension between those early Christians and say, and saying, how are we going to live like Christ when we're living in this luxurious society? So how do we deal with that? And how do we deal with all these threats? We run away, and we flee into the wilderness. We run to Egypt, and we live by ourselves. And then it became like people became so popular 
as monks that they wanted to be uh, entreated by other people. And so the, all, all these people were pursuing these monks into the desert so they could learn from them. Apparently one guy sat on a pole for 40 years uh, because he just wanted to be away from society. Uh, uh, there's some interesting questions that arise in my mind about that. But Many people became eunuchs for Christ, uh, not only living a life of celibacy, but actually harming themselves physically because the idea of that type of activity was evil. Marrying and giving in marriage was certainly not a sign in the coming kingdom, so why should we be married now? Some really fascinating stories in that time. Um, thousands, really, of people became uh, what are known as monks. They, they gardened, they prayed, they sang, they weaved. Um, they owned nothing but cloaks and mats, and uh, they felt the worst thing that could happen to anybody was to become a bishop because we just got to live by ourselves. Now, churches grew up in those areas so the hermits could gather <laughs> on, on the Lord's Day, and then they'd go back to their caves. Um, the founders of monasticism are guys by the name of Paul and Anthony. Their lives are recorded for us by Jerome and Athanasius, if you'd like to read more about that. But I want to get into, really, what are the pros and cons of that. Just turn to your neighbor and think of a few things for a minute here. What are some pros of living that type of lifestyle? What are some cons of living that type of lifestyle. If, if, what if we chose to live that type of lifestyle today? Turn to your neighbor and talk about it for 30 seconds, then we'll hear a few things. What are some pros and cons about those things? W what would be positive about it? What would be real negative about it? <laughs> you guys have something? Oh, we're ready. Sounds like Ken went, Ken went from like this. <laughs> Which
No, that's okay. <laughs> yeah, we talked about that. The, yeah, leaving the pressures of sin, sure. And it, wouldn't it be nice? But the thing about it is you're taking yourself with you. Right? So you're not really leaving all of sin behind. What were you going to say about that? Sure. Sure. And that, that developed, right, that developed after the solitary monks became kind of communal monks. And because this one poor guy, Anthony, he'd go out and then a bunch of people would follow him and he'd go further out and they'd follow him and they'd go further. You know, we gotta, and, and that's really what happened. And so he finally said, all right, you can meet with me, but you need to give me this alone time. Let me give you some of the...
Time, right? So he doesn't say there was a time. Imagine this is the, the historical time. What's this for us? What's the start of historical time? In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. So he's not saying that there was a time, right? In other words, there's, there's a place in creation. He's saying Jesus was right prior to this. That's the whole point. But even that is in error. There was never when he was not. But this is the phrase that he used. Now they both believed, I'm telling you, they both believed in the pre-existence of the Word where Arius believed that the Word was the first thing created. And Arius is pointing fingers at Alexander saying, hey, you're not being monotheistic. We believe in one God. You're talking about two, the Father and the Logos. Well, Alexander is saying, then why are we worshiping Jesus as God? We've been doing this for hundreds of years, so either you've got to make a change in our church services or we have to declare that we've been worshiping a creature
Banish. I did. liar blasphemy people rose up and they're like get him out of here well Constantine was kind of sympathetic to the Arians and he didn't like that this was happening but he kind of swung with the movement of the crowd and so by the end of the uh, by the end of the council the decision was made to come up with this Nicene Creed that supported Alexander's teaching that Christ of course is co-equal with God and co-eternal with him now, there's something, let me see if I put it on here, critical, of critical importance. I'm glad we got to this. Constantine added this word, homo, homoesis, okay? And look at the difference there in the second word, homoousis. You have homoousis. You can hear that. We, we have words like homo, means same, okay? 
Homoousis means same substance. Homoi, which is the, o- the only difference is the iota. That's the letter I. Circle that letter I because it's very critical. That means similar substance. Okay? Are we homoousis people or homoousis people? Yeah, we're same substance. Is Jesus the same as God or is he similar to God? One letter makes the difference. In fact, when the Nicene Creed was written, and we're going to go over it in just a second, people had to go up and sign it. Only a few didn't. They were banished. Some of them later said that when they got up there, that word homoousis, they got up there to sign it, and they inserted the I and then signed. Right? See what they did? They changed, here, I'm going to change my opinion because it's homoiousis. People are saying, we're fighting over a letter. There's a story told about this lady who uh, was in Paris and telegrammed her husband, I found a $75,000 bracelet, can I buy it? And he tell him, telegrammed back, no, comma, price too high. But when the telegram went out, the comma was missing. No price too high. I mean, one thing can make a huge difference. And this letter I changes from orthodox teaching to heresy. Constantine was the one who came up with that. They're not sure that he did or if it was this uh, bishop from Spain that gave it to him. But again, they deposed the people who would not sign. Look at this Nicene Creed. The big section in the middle is the section of uh, the sun. Okay, and, and they came up with this and agreed to this. Look at, look at how clear they are on this doctrine for us. We believe, okay, we'll skip that first little section and go to the second section about Christ. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made. <laughs> it's almost like Arius be like, because right? that's what he believes, and they're putting that in there. Not made, being of homo, homoousis, of same substance with the Father by whom all things were made. And then it goes on. And this, this is kind of the added part. It wasn't exactly written this way. But in the original, which is no longer recited in the Nicene Creed, and we've recited that in here from time to time. It's still a a very orthodox statement of faith. But in the original, which is not listed on our sheet, it was also added (laughs) at the very end. It said this, But to anyone who says there was a time when he was not, I express that to you already, or he was not before he was made, or he was made of nothing, or he is of another substance or essence, or the Son of God is created or changeable or alterable. I mean, they're adding all these things. If anybody says any of that, they are condemned by the Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church. Right? It ends kind of nicely in our, in our thing. right? And we look forward, you could all recite in church, we look forward to the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. They wanted to add, but if anyone says any of that stuff, they're out of here. I like these people. Don't you? I mean, they stood for this truth. You can understand how this doctrine was planted by the devil because we've asked ourselves those questions. How could, how could God be hungry? How could God be thirsty? How could God suffer like that, right? How could he uh, change and grow, Luke 2, 52? How could, how could God grow in wisdom? 
Right? These were questions that Arius brought up, and they're, they're legitimate questions. He came to the wrong conclusion, but they're legitimate questions. And we say we believe in the mystery of the, of the triune God. And Athanasius, who we'll speak to next week, was uh, a deacon under Alexander. Alexander died shortly after this, and Athanasius took up the battle for this orthodox teaching. Mentioned earlier, Eusebius of Nicomedia, the one who spoke about Arianism and then was immediately shouted down as a liar and a heretic. Of course, he didn't sign. He was one of the few that didn't sign. And he was banished. But he was a great politician and a good friend of Constantine. He made his way back. And he convinced Constantine to change his mind. And they ended up banishing the other guys. Athanasius was actually banished and brought back. Banished and brought back. Banished and brought back, banished and brought back, banished and brought back. Happened five times. A lot of stability there. Before all that happened, before Alexander died, before Arius died, Constantine made the decision, we're going to reinstate Arius. There's going to be a big parade for him. There's going to be a special day. We're going to celebrate him. We're going to bring him back. Remember I told you who was the only one who could bring him back? The one who kicked him out, Alexander. And Alexander's like, not a chance. So you're gone, Alexander. And the day before Arius' day of celebration, he croaked. And you know what Alexander and all those people said? Look what God did. And you know what Arius said and all his people? Arius didn't say anything. He was dead. But you know what, you know what his people said? Alexander poisoned him. Crazy. This is wild stuff. Uh, you know, there's all these gospel conventions in America today. Can you imagine if something like that happened? You go, to get, you go to together for the gospel in Louisville or something, and all the pastors get together, and they banish people, and people are poisoning, and people are dying, and it just doesn't happen. But the church is being developed, and truth is being protected, and we have these men, these bishops, who many of them are nameless, who stood up and cried heresy when the doctrine of Christology was threatened. And because of that, the church, and in God's preservation, it, it, it made this right turn towards orthodoxy. And of course, there's still these variant views about Christ, but, but the church made a firm stand on Christ being very God of very God, begotten, not made. I, I just think that's, that's wonderful. But after this period of back and forth, Arianism really became more and more popular. In fact, Jerome, who translated the Latin Vulgate, said this, uh, there were, Constantine died and his three sons took over and then finally a nephew named Julian took over. He's known as the apostate. We'll come to him uh, and he kind of brings paganism back. But Jerome said this, it was as if the entire world woke from a deep slumber and discovered 